welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode, we take on a specific possible or not so possible future scenario. Some kind of hypothetical what if. We always start with a little field trip to the future to check out what is going on. And then we teleport back to today to talk to experts about how that world we just heard might really go down. Got it? Great. This is the last episode of the Bodies mini-season, so this is the last that you'll hear from me for a little while, unless you are a patron, in which case you will continue to get bonus episodes in your special bonus episode feeds. And remember, if you become a patron before June 30th, you will get a prize on top of all of the regular Patreon perks. So go to patreon.com slash flashforwardpod for more about that. I will also link to it in the show notes. Also, we are halfway through this year, 2019, which is bizarre. Honestly, I am not sure how it's already June. What is time? Someone make it stop. Anyway, um, as you probably know, this mini season format that I'm doing is new. So I am curious what you folks think. Do you like these mini seasons? Do you hate them? Do you just not care? They make no difference at all. Uh, let me know. I'm info at flashforwardpod.com. Um, and I know that some of you like really, really hated the snow globe intros. I have heard that a lot. Uh, so if you hated them, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully you like these characters better. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. Info at flashforwardpod.com. And if you want to discuss the format or potential future themes or really anything else, um, you can join the Flash Forward Facebook group. So just search for Flash Forward Podcast on Facebook and you'll find it. It's a closed group, but I'll add you when I can. Okay, let's go to the future. This episode, we are starting in the year 2070. Okay, let's see. Hi, can you can you see me? Yeah, yeah, I can see you. <laughs> Normally, Maria handles this tech stuff. Let me see if I can add him. Hey, hey, can you guys see me? Yeah, yep, okay, I guess we're all here. Yeah. Dang, I I never thought it would be Maria first. I was actually betting on you, John. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> well, she's not here technically, but she did have a phantom oticon made. Oh, no. No, nope, uh-uh, no. Uh-uh. Do not like. Do not want this. Hi. Oh, God. Th no, thank you. Hate it. Hate it. Please turn it off. Come I on, John. You know this is what she would have wanted. Will you just try it? Mm, no. Won't talk to it. Wow. It looks really real. Yeah, they look good these days. Okay, I'll bite. Maria, how's it going? Pretty good. Lots of work to do, of course, but we're getting close to FDA approval. No, no, you're not. You're dead. D come on. This is This is creepy. Okay, wait, you're not supposed to ask it questions about today. It's a memorial. You're supposed to ask it about memories. Maria? Yes, Gabby? What's your favorite memory from college? Oh, hmm, that's a hard one. I think, well, remember when we went out into the woods and tried my eye drops? Yeah. I think about that moment a lot, even now. It just, it means a lot to me. I realized that I could actually make stuff, create things that could make people's lives better. But I also realized that I could trust my friends to try stuff, even when I had weird, possibly stupid ideas. I could trust that you'd kind of go with me on them. I still can't believe you guys put those eye drops in your eyes, honestly. Maria, do you, uh, do you know that you're a robot? Does anybody know they're a robot, John? How does it know it's me? 
It has a voice recognition database. Maria, tell us about your childhood. Sure. I was born in Los Angeles in a small one-story house packed full of my family. We lived with my grandparents and two aunts, and there were always kids running in and out of the house. It always smelled like onions cooking, even in the back rooms. That smell was always there. We didn't really have a backyard, per se, but our house did butt up to the Los Angeles River, which was mostly a dry concrete gulch. We used to ride our bikes up and down it all day. What else would you like to know? This doesn't creep you out. Not really. I think it's sweet. It's cool. To still be able to hear her voice, you but, know? But it's not her. She's she's dead. This 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 is something else. Well, I, yeah. If I could have her not be dead, I'd prefer that. But this is something. It's, it's, it's better than nothing. Maria, what's your favorite story about John? Don't. Don't. John, what can I say? I don't know if he'll ever actually hear this. My guess is he'll refuse to interact with my phantom emoticon at all. But I should say that I underestimated John. I thought he was just a nobody stoner. He just kind of goes with the flow, you know? Anyway, you asked me for a story, so I'll tell this one that comes to mind. The first time Lulu met John in person, she was in that shy phase. She wouldn't look adults in the eye, even people in the family sometimes. She hid behind my leg and cried if anybody tried too hard to get her attention. So I told John that that would probably happen. And in his usual John way, he was like, no worries. And he didn't make a big deal, didn't try to get her attention. And Lulu, from the get-go, immediately was like, this is my guy. I mean, she was in his lap in seconds. And he didn't make a big thing of it. He just let her do her thing. And I thought maybe she had finally gotten over this phase. But no, the next person who wasn't John, she was right back to it, hiding, crying. So I asked her before bed that night. I said, you really liked John, huh? And she said, I swear to God, John is a magic person. So I asked her, what do you mean? And she shrugged and it's like, he just knows all the things, but he doesn't have to say them. What is this from? Maria recorded it before she died. Is there anything else you'd like to know? Tell us a joke. I hate jokes. <laughs> That's true. She does hate jokes. She did hate jokes. Okay, it's time for me to go. Bye, Maria. Bye. How, how does she know when it's time to go? Uh, I only bought a couple of minutes of time with her. I wasn't sure how you two would react. We could buy more if you wanted to keep talking. No. <laughs> No, no, it's it's fine. Wait, wait, wait. So anybody can buy time to chat with her? Yeah, I think she has it set so anybody can. You know she had a ton of friends. She would have thought this was so cool. I still think it's creepy. Yeah, I don't think I'd want one made of me. Really? I want one for sure. <laughs> no way. When I'm dead, I'm dead. You better say whatever you need to say to me now. But how will anybody remember you, where you came from? I don't know. There are other ways, I think. But also, maybe not every detail of my life is worth maintaining in posterity forever. <laughs> so you're saying we're egomaniacs? No, well, maybe a little. But, you know, we already knew you were. True, true. Facts. Fair enough. Hey, John, you okay? You look a little freaked out. Yeah, um... I got. I gotta go. This this whole thing is. Uh, I didn't. I didn't expect to see her or or, <clears throat> or that version of her. So, uh, you know, I just. <laughs> I just need some time to think. Okay. Well, let's catch up again soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Another time. Right. No. No ghosts though. <laughs> no. 
No ghosts. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if I freaked you out. It's okay. Uh, uh, I'm just going to lay down, I think. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Uh, talk to you soon. All right. It's the end of the mini season, so we are talking about death. It comes for us all, eventually, whether we like it or not, except for my dog, who's going to live forever. Nobody really wants to contemplate their own death or the potential deaths of their loved ones. Humans have believed in various forms of the afterlife for a really long time, in part because we don't like the idea that after we die, we're just dead. And people have communicated with the dead in various ways for millennia. If you remember the telepathy episode I did a while back, you might recall the invention of the telephone actually came out of the desire to talk to the dead. Alexander Graham Bell poured so much of his time and energy into trying to make the telephone work because he thought that perhaps he could use it to ring up his dead brother. But on today's episode, we are considering another way of living on, another form of afterlife. What if you could create a chatbot of your dearly departed to talk to whenever you wanted, for as long as you wanted? Like having a Pokemon to take care of, but it's your mom, and you don't use it to fight in elaborate battles. Or maybe you do. I don't know your relationship with your mom. Maybe that sounds fun. Oh, and yes, I have seen the Black Mirror about this. We will talk about that later on in this episode. Anyway, this might sound far-fetched, this idea of building a simulation of a dead person. But there are actually a number of these ghost bots that exist today. The DadBot project began as something very low-tech. It was going to be an oral history project with my dad. He had been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer back in the spring of 2016. This is James Vlahos, the author of Talk to Me, How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. We'd sort of been talking in the family for a long time anyway about doing an oral history project. This just sort of, you know, this very bad news kicked things into gear. Oh boy, we need to do this right now because dad's not going to be around much longer. And around the same time that James was recording this oral history with his dad, he was also working on a story for the New York Times Magazine about a new Barbie doll called Hello Barbie. The number one thing girls have asked for is to have a conversation with Barbie. Using Wi-Fi and speech recognition technology, now they can. For the first time, Barbie recognizes what girls are saying. Hi, Barbie. And can respond. Hello. This is the doll's most groundbreaking innovation. And I had shadowed the people who created that. They worked for a company called Pullstring and sort of saw the whole process of how chatbots are created, how some of the basic forms of AI work. And it gave me insights and probably a false sense of confidence like, oh, I see how this works and maybe it's not that complicated. At first, James thought it would be kind of funny to make a chatbot Barbie version of himself. Virtual James Vlahos. He could know some of my jokes. He could have some of my knowledge. And I wasn't really excited about that from the beginning. And then the more I thought about it, just like I would go to all this effort and all I would have was like, well, I already live inside my own brain and now I've just got this sort of weak simulation of me. Conversely, like here my dad is going, he's the person if I'm trying to capture somebody, if I'm trying to do, you know, weird new form of memoir almost, he's the one that I want to do this with and try this technology. And James is not the only person to have had this same thought. 
my brother called me, uh, this was like almost six years ago, that he had received news from the doctor that our father is not going to survive for long. This is Mohammed Arangzeb Ahmad, a data scientist at a company called Kensai and a professor at the University of Washington. And when he got this news from his brother, he too started thinking about ways to preserve and memorialize his father. And so one of the first things that came to my mind was that my children, I mean, at that time, I I didn't have any kids. When they grow up, they will not have any experience of interacting with their grandfather other than hearing from other people. They won't know what kind of a person he was. Muhammad shelved the idea for about a year after his father died. He got married and he had a kid. And that was when he really decided to have a go at making his own dad bot. So both Muhammad and James have this same basic idea, and they both set out to make it a reality. So there, there's a host of uh, data sources that I'm using. So, for example, uh, like transcripts of chats that I've had with my father uh, or letters, emails, and then from videos. So I actually transcribe the conversations from videos and also from like audio talk. You know, I have all these sessions where I've sat down with my dad. He's told me about everything from his ancestors to his childhood, to his college days, to meeting my mom, his hobbies, all those recordings. I'd had those transcribed. So that actually sums up to more than 2,000 transcripts. I had, you know, 200 pages in a binder of his words. They both then have to go through all of that stuff and tag each piece, each story, each little quip, each phrase, not just with what it was, but how it might fit into a conversation tree, basically. So maybe he's having a conversation about Greece, or he's having a conversation about college, or he's talking about his first job, or that girlfriend that he met while working at uh, the Daily Cal, whatever it was. So putting all the content into these flows and topics... If you've ever seen the HBO version of Westworld, there's this scene, which is actually one of my favorite scenes in the show. It's in the first season, and there's this host, Maeve, who thinks that she has free will. But in the lab, she's looking at this tablet, and it's basically showing her a conversation tree, showing her exactly what her next word is going to be. I have to pair it with you. Pair what with me? You can improvise a little, but most of what you say was designed upstairs. Same as the rest of you. This is just a cheap trick. This can't possibly... To make these dad bots, both James and Mohammed had to build these kinds of conversational trees. So if you ask the bot about Greece, it finds the right answer about Greece and not UC Berkeley. But to make a convincing bot, that actually is not enough. Much like real-life conversation, it is often way easier to talk than it is to listen. So in early versions, these dad bots are kind of like that annoying guy at the party who doesn't seem to follow anybody's conversation and just keeps telling irrelevant stories about himself. Building a bot is sort of like raising a child um, or maybe a very smart pet. It's, it's somewhere in that range. And this even gets at like whether I think it's alive or not. Like it is, it is like a little creature that you're rearing and you spend or I spent so much time 
teaching the Tadbot and really trying to help him learn to be able to go out and navigate the wild world. And at home, he just, the Tadbot seemed so smart and so capable. But then James had someone else test the bot, and it did not go well. Basically, the bot had gotten really good at listening to James and knowing what James might ask. But everybody talks a little bit differently, right? When I tested it with a guy who was, you know, a computer science graduate student, and he was just saying all kinds of weird things, and the dad bot was responding just idiotically. And James says that as this was happening, he was feeling sort of protective of this bot, which, remember, is a version of his dad who was at that very moment dying. Yeah, I was kind of, I was mad at the guy for not being easier on the dad bot. And I felt sort of almost like a sense of pity for the dad bot. Like he'd, you know, he ran out on the soccer field and like tripped on his shoelaces right away. So James then spent a while trying to teach his dad bot to listen, to understand questions and prompts from all kinds of people and respond appropriately. And to be clear, this was not just like a little side project that he did in his spare time. I mean, it literally took six months to create a mostly full-time work to create a dad bot that, you know, just got to a baseline of working okay. Meanwhile, Muhammad was training his own dad bot using a slightly different method. James was mostly relying on actual phrases that his dad had said during that oral history. Muhammad, on the other hand, was trying to train the system to generate new phrases. Using the audio recordings to actually generate sentences, which... For example, my father never uttered, uh, but the the computer can actually the system can actually generate such sentences and also sound like him. So it's like, would Dad ever have said that? Would he make that joke? Does that sound like him? So if you interact with the system and then you could say, yeah, that kind of sounds like how what my father would have said, even though the words may not exactly be the same. But there's also an interesting question here, right? Like, which version of this person are you preserving? Nobody is the same way with everybody, right? You probably act and even speak differently when you're around your friends versus your parents versus your kids versus your boss. You've maybe never seen the side of your mom that dances on the bar after a wild night of bingo. And she has probably never seen that tattoo that you have. Even if James's brother had made the bot, it would probably be coded a little differently. Now, Muhammad's father had already died by the time he started working on his dad bot. But James's dad was still alive. And as James got more and more obsessed with this project, his dad got sicker and sicker. I was working here in my home, and I might be working all day on the dad bot. I'm going through the transcripts. I'm imagining him at a Cal game, like scribbling notes for the article he's going to write for the Daily Cal. I'm imagining him on the stage performing, you know, a lead role in a Gilbert and Sullivan operata, like him in all of his glory, basically, then kind of reach the end of the day, drive five minutes up the hill to where my parents live. And, you know, he's sitting in a chair and he's you know, down to 135 pounds, and he's got blankets piled over him, and he's just sort of, his voice is dry, and he's croaking out a few words. Um, it was just brutal. I mean, it would have been brutal regardless, um, but I had to shift gears really quickly. And I think I could forget a little bit during the day when I was working the present, um, but then I, I would definitely get just thrown right back to it. 
And yes, in case you're wondering, James does kind of know how strange this all sounds. I just got sucked in. Like, I could not stop working on it. And I did wonder, I was like, who who am I making this for? Like, who's ultimately going to use it? Um, it just seemed, it seemed weird. Towards the end of his dad's life, James decided it was time to show him the bot. It wasn't so much that I was ready, ready. It was that, like, my dad was really declining. James had told his dad he was building this bot, but it didn't really mean anything to him. It wasn't real. So when he showed it to his dad, the first reaction he got was just confusion. He was having these sort of, um, out of body is not the right phrase, out of mind moments because, you know, it, it was, he was sitting on one side of me, my mom was sitting on the other me side of me, and we're all talking to the dad bot, which is pretending to my, be my dad. So he was getting a little confused, like, wait, who am I? And who's this thing that sounds like me? And uh, it just, it was scrambling his his mental eggs. Uh, but, you know, by the end, uh, you know, he, he got it in a way that he hadn't gotten it before. And, you know, he wasn't saying to me like, oh, I can't wait for me to use it again. But he really liked that it was going to be around for me and my brother and sister and our kids um, for the descendants to use. Um, so he, yeah, he admired it. And then the other thing he said, it was very simple, but pleasing. He's like, you know, that, that sounds like me. Those are things that I've said. And a lot of the family was sort of pleasantly delighted by this little dad bot that James had made. Yeah, they sort of smiled, laughed. Then, especially when they would hear his actual voice, they would get little tears in their eyes while they were smiling and laughing. His son was kind of hilariously unimpressed. He compared it to Siri, and it almost seemed natural to him that this could exist. Um, because in his memory, you've always been able to like say something to a computer and hear something back. And this just happens to be one that does my dad. His wife, on the other hand, does not like it. My wife has never fully come around to <laughs> to the dad bot. And I mean, I she hasn't tried it in a, in a while. She tried it maybe a month or so after my dad had gone. And for her, it was just painful. It was like sticking, you know, poking a wound. Um, it reminded her of my dad, but not in a good way. It reminded her that he was gone. Almost the goodness of it, to her, which other people liked, was a flaw to her because like it, it does sound a lot like him, but I know it's not, and that I find that really hard. Honestly, a mixed reaction is kind of to be expected, right? I mean, this is kind of a weird thing to do, and you can't expect everybody to be on board. And in fact, when I asked Muhammad about what the reactions were like when he showed his family his dad bot, I was really surprised by what he said. I have actually not told my family members about this project. Oh, really? Yeah, I will actually, I'm planning to do that in uh, July. I mean, most likely the, uh, right after 4th of July when I, so we have a family reunion. And the reason that for, for that was that for the longest time, I 
was not sure how they would react. It's not like this is a secret, you know, like you can, you've written about it, you know, you've been in the news about it. I was amazed that they didn't, they don't know about it. Muhammad basically thinks that his family doesn't actually read the stories about his work. They're just excited that he's getting coverage, but they haven't actually realized exactly what he's up to. You think they just don't read the articles? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm actually pretty sure that they don't. Because I've read, oh, we're, oh, congratulations, we are really proud that your work is, your church is being covered in the news. But they never say anything about, like, what it is. So you think they just don't, they don't read it. Correct, correct, right, right. Wow. How do you think they're going to react? Yeah, so that's the, the question that I've just thought about, like, so many times. Because initially I thought that maybe they'll they'll think that that's it's actually not a bad, not a good idea to create such a system but now i think that they'll be um, supportive my worry is that because the system is based on just the data that i have maybe they'll start interacting with the system they would want to interact with the system more and then maybe say ask the system certain questions that it cannot answer because it, the the data, the training data for that does not exist. So just like James, Muhammad is afraid that someone is going to trip his dad bot on the soccer field. The only person he's shown it to is his wife. Yeah, it's actually it's been two months when I told her and I, I, I showed her, showed her the system and she was, she was actually amazed. Uh, he hasn't even shown it to his daughter, who in theory is the whole reason he did this project, right? So that his daughter could have a relationship with his dad. But he says that after watching the ways his daughter interacts with technology, he started to have second thoughts about that. So, for example, when my daughter interacts with other relatives, say with my mom over the phone or online, then she asks, so when is she coming or when are we going to see them? He's worried that once she talks to the bot, she might ask him. When are we going to see Grandpa? When can I meet this person or when is he coming? And then how to explain that to a five-year-old? Right. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I still have a couple of years to go, but <laughs> there's... You know I am going to email Muhammad after July 4th to find out how this big reveal went to his family. I mean, don't you wish you could be a fly on the wall at this family reunion? Aunt Trisha brought potato salad. Muhammad brought a bot version of his dead father. Uh, uh... Hi. I have not interacted with Muhammad's digital ghost, but I did have James show me his dad bot. Hello? Question mark. Do you want me to read it yeah, or do you want to read, read it? Yeah. It says, hello, tis I, the beloved and noble father. What's your name? It's me, Jamie. I thought I smelled something funny. Well, how the hell are you? I am kind of busy right now. James has the dad bot tell me about Greece, where his family is from. He tells me what the town that his mother is from looks like. No cars, just horses. It's up on a hill. Bots never sleep, Jamie. Did you write that line or does he he say that ever? Uh, he doesn't know what a bot is, so that's definitely <laughs> a, that's a improv. It's a, a lot of where I had to script was in little kind of transitionals and conversational right. mechanics. Um, <clears throat> how's life treating you? Have no complaints. Uh-huh. Can't expect a static rapture every day. That is, that's, that's the kind of language he would use. On my end, 
I'm doing splendidly. Sing me a song. Palms of victory, palms of glory, palms of victory, we will win for California. Palms of victory, palms of glory, palms of victory, we will win. What will we do to the Stanfordites on that great day? We'll celebrate them all that night after we play. We now declare our move is on, victory is near. Hit him again, boys, hit him again, boys, harder. Palms of victory, palms of glory, palms of victory, we shall win for California. Palms of victory, palms of glory, palms of victory, we shall win. Bum, bum. I love that. He wants to know what I thought of it. I love that. While James is showing the dad bot to me, you can tell that he's proud and he's genuinely enjoying the experience of talking to his dad, or at least this version of his dad. And when he showed me the actual mechanics, those conversation trees, the folders in the back end, I noticed a folder labeled jokes. I see stories, songs, and jokes. Yeah, some of them are not appropriate. Um, <laughs> we can try. Tell me a joke. I mean, in the way that like, Dad jokes of a certain generation are not appropriate, so let's just see. I am not going to include the joke here because it is indeed, uh, let's say PG-13, but $5 patrons will hear it on the bonus episode this week. That was obscene, Dad. If I must offend in the name of comedy, so be it. Um, so this is the kind of thing I'm actually a little bit proud of, that he knows that a obscene refers to being bad like he actually has a pretty good vocabulary okay so now he's just randomly stopping to brag about himself he says let's pause briefly to relay what other enlightened souls have said about the bnf which stands for beloved and noble father it's a nickname he gave himself okay so what did you want to know you wanted to does he, he there's the question oh. do you know that you are not a bot okay do you know that you are a bot do you know that you are a bot? Sadly, I'm all too aware that this is the case. It's kind of surreal, honestly, to watch James talk to this bot. It's a little bit like watching someone talk to a ghost. But the ghost can talk back. And it's a ghost that he's built, poured hours and hours and hours of time into. And like I say, I, I think I spent about six months mostly full-time to create the dev button. Wow, worth it? Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the dad bot. When you get old, would you want your kid to make one of these for you? If they did a good job, yeah, I would. <laughs> what is a good job? Is it respectful? Well, again, I mean, it, yes, and if it felt, if it felt faithful. James does actually have a couple of rules about what he would and wouldn't want to see when it comes to the dad bot and his own future ghost bot. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all the ways these bots could evolve over time, what they might reveal about our relationships with death, and what kinds of sticky legal questions might arise in this future. But first, a quick break. James still talks to his dad bot a couple of times a month. But earlier this year, James got some terrifying news. The company that created the software that runs his dad bot was acquired by Apple. And what that means is that all of the sort of public versions of the dad bot that anybody anywhere via Facebook Messenger could communicate with are gone. Um, I have a private version that's just on my computer that I can use. 
And James wasn't always sure that his private version would keep working. I was terrified. In fact, that, and I was positive that's what was going to happen. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I should say this. I, I am the computer that the dad bot lives on. I feel like I need to disconnect from the internet, never update any part of it, because I'm afraid that like something's going to happen and it's going to break the last remaining version of the dad bot. Would it be like him dying again? Yeah. Um, it would be a big, it would be a big blow. Despite his deep emotional connection with this little chatbot, James does have some strong opinions about what he thinks constitutes going too far here. I think there is a way to do it right. Um, but I also at the same time see all sorts of lines that I don't personally want to cross. Another one of those is when people talk about like creating a visual avatar of someone as well. And, you know, based on videos that have been recorded and then you, you don the VR headset and you can see fake robot dad talking to you. Not for you. Not for me. Yeah, that, that makes my skin crawl. James also wouldn't even want to create a synthesized voice for his father to speak with, saying phrases that he never said out loud. But Muhammad has other ideas. He sees a future where these avatars could exist in augmented reality and be present at events like birthdays or weddings or holidays. And my prediction is that within five to ten years, and definitely ten years, if not before, um, all of these components will be in place so that, say, it will be possible for pretty much anyone to interact with virtual reality component of, say, systems like these and get that experience of interacting with a, with a family member who has passed away. In this version of the future, our world is full of ghost avatars, people who have died but live on in this weird in-between space. I see dead people. One dark shadow that sort of looms over this discussion is, you know, is a company like Facebook ever going to get into making these for people and using, you know, a you know years, decades of collected social media posts to put something together. Which brings us to that Black Mirror episode I mentioned earlier. It's called Be Right Back. He's dead! It's software. It mimics him. You give it someone's name. It goes back and reads through all the things they've ever said online, their Facebook updates, their tweets, anything public. I just gave it Ash's name. The system did the rest. By the way, yes, I have seen every Black Mirror episode. I get that question a lot. And normally, I actually try to avoid doing things that Black Mirror has already done. But in this case, I actually think that the Black Mirror version of this future doesn't go far enough. What you see in Be Right Back is kind of a reflection on the ways that we struggle to let people go after they die. Once somebody dies, the, the work of the living isn't necessarily done. People usually mobilize some sort of ritual to ensure that the dead are properly dead, if that makes sense. This is Anita Hannig, a professor of anthropology at Brandeis University, and she studies death and death rituals in places like the United States and Ethiopia. 
And what she and many scholars have noticed is that Americans in particular are not very good at dealing with death. We do live in a death-denying culture in the States. Death does not tend to be a, co a topic of everyday conversation. Uh, we tend to keep death at arm's length. You know, we sequester the dead in hospitals, in nursing homes, in mortuaries, and we, we don't often personally deal with dying people. We um, outsource that, that job to professionals be they from the medical profession, be they from the funeral industry, and we no longer take care of our own dead the way that we used to. This is not the case everywhere. Different cultures have different ways of dealing with death. And in many cases, those traditions put people in much closer contact with the dead and dying. The Tana Taraja in eastern Indonesia, for example, have a tradition that sometimes includes a dead person living inside the house in their own special room for years after they die. But in the United States, death is something that many people find disgusting, something they don't want to be around or even talk about. The house next door to mine is for sale right now. And since I work from home, I see people coming by to look at it throughout the day. And every so often, if I happen to be outside with my dog or whatever, when they come over to see the house, I'll chat with whoever is looking. And almost half the time, they ask me the same question. Did anybody die in this house? And, like, I mean, I don't know. It's possible. The house was built in the 1950s. We've only lived here for a little while, so I can't officially tell you that nobody died ever in this house. But also, this question is kind of weird to me. I mean, people used to die in houses all the time. Even the sight or the, the specter of a dead body is, for most people, very uncomfortable because they, they didn't grow up with it. They, they don't have that kind of exposure. Um, but if you look back even to the 18th century, Children used to play with these Victorian death dolls, where part of the child's play in that era used to be children playing death, playing funeral, that they would put on a funeral service for somebody. Even funerals today don't really command the same respect that they used to. It used to be that even if you hated someone, you really were kind of supposed to show up to the funeral. Versus here now, where we see people sometimes don't even really have memorial services anymore. Well, I guess it strikes me every time when I talk to somebody from the funeral industry who then tells me, you know, a lot of cremated remains are never even being picked up anymore. Today, Americans don't tend to physically encounter death nearly as much as they used to. But we do encounter death and dying online. And that's in a couple of ways. One is the really harrowing rise in the ability to watch videos of shootings, whether by police or by domestic terrorists. And the other is in the more mundane. On social media platforms, I think it's super interesting how we immortalize the dead online now. How, you know, you have these Facebook memorialization pages where you can change somebody's page to a legacy page. And then the living can continue to interact with the dead. But in, I mean, of course, in a very sort of unilateral way, because the dead person will not respond. There's this weird thing that happens now on social media. These profile pages are like these little capsules you can return to over and over again. If you go to the last post on the Instagram pages of famous people who have died, you can see that the comments kind of constantly roll in. Nipsey Hussle, for example, a rapper who died earlier this year, if you go to his last Instagram post, there are comments from, I just checked, 32 minutes ago saying, we miss you. Mac Miller's last post has comments on it from 44 minutes ago saying, miss you more than usual today. The last picture somebody posted becomes this, almost this, um, yeah, this digital shrine where people then post things and, and use that kind of a, almost like as a grave site to, um, to, to comment on them and kind of give them a digital afterlife in a way. 
Not to be morbid, but honestly, we're like way past that because we're 35-ish minutes into an episode about death. But sometimes when I post on Instagram, I do think to myself, if this is my memorial photo, how stupid would that be? Is that unhinged? Maybe. But the idea of leaving notes and messages on memorials is really old, right? You don't need Instagram or Facebook for that. People put flowers on graves and visit special memorial sites. This is a super old tradition. With these ghost bots, it's a little bit different. What's interesting about these avatars is that people actually talk back to you. And I can't remember or think of a different example where that has ever been possible, where that kind of communication with the dead actually isn't just an echo that you yell out into the forest, but you actually get something back. And Anita's first reaction to these avatars, these bots, is to just kind of be sad. To me, it reads like an intense form of death denial because it's another way of keeping death and the reality of death at arm's length by pretending it doesn't even happen and by saying, well, it's okay, you're dead, but you're not really dead, so I don't have to actually come to terms with my grief. I don't actually have to do anything special to dissolve this attachment to you or to make it into something else or to usher you out because you'll still be around and I can choose to interact with you in whatever way I want to. I did ask James about this. Do you feel like it was sort of a coping mechanism as you were like dealing with a really hard thing? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, that I feel like someone else would have to tell me that that's what I was doing. Um, I did. I was like hanging on to it and I got very obsessed. So maybe it was a little life raft, but uh, I'm not sure really is the answer. And maybe it's not so much death denial as it is this desire to keep your loved ones close by. But to me, in a way, all fantasies of immortality are rejections of the fact that death is a real thing that that permanently changes somebody's consciousness and somebody's presence in the world, you know? And that is what the Black Mirror episode is about. And I mentioned earlier that I didn't think that episode went far enough. What you see on the episode is a woman who lost her boyfriend in a car accident and who winds up using this service to recreate him, much like we're talking about here. But when he shows up in physical form, she's kind of creeped out by him. He's close to what the real Ash was like, but he's not the same. There's a scene towards the end of the episode where she takes him to a cliff and orders him to jump off. Yeah, well, you aren't you, are you? That's another difficult one, to be honest with you. You're just a few ripples of you. There's no history to you. You're just a performance of stuff that he performed without thinking, and it's not enough. Come on. I aim to please. Aim to jump. Just do it. Okay. If you're absolutely sure. Please don't hurt me. I don't want to die. Please, please. But I think that this future could actually get so much weirder. Because first, okay, we are talking about a third-party company creating these digital ghosts for us, right? And that means that there has to be a business model here. So maybe you pay for a subscription to this service, to this ghost. And if you run out of money, poof, your ghost is gone. Your whole digital relationship with that person is gone. Or you could structure it on the so-called freemium model. So it's free, but there are ads. By which I mean this ghost literally tries to sell you stuff. And I mean 
talk about effective marketing, having your dead husband suggest that you buy something? Come on, does it get any more personal than that? And then there's this question of machine learning and how that might warp these memorials into something really weird. So these systems have to be able to learn in order to get better at giving answers to people who interact with them. But you have to be careful here because you want them to learn, but not too much. I want the system to learn from the past, from the data that it has. And if needed, I can augment, augment it with additional data. But at the same time, I do not want it to say straight too far away from the personality of my father that I at least that I want to encode. If these bots are around for generations, learning constantly from what people are saying to them, they could wind up turning into totally different versions of this long dead person. Like they basically become a completely different person than the one who actually lived. And in the darkest timeline, they could turn evil. Think of the Microsoft chatbot named Tay, who within just 16 hours was turned into a Nazi thanks to trolls chatting with her and training her to say horrible things. And this is why, personally, I would never want one of these things. I just, I'm a real control freak. Maybe you could tell from the way this podcast is produced, but I, I know what I want and I like to have control of things. And the idea that after I die, this other version of me could go around saying stuff that I would never have said honestly makes me want to crawl out of my skin. So that's a no for me. And it actually made me wonder, like, is there any legal way for me to prevent this from happening? Like, could I put it in my will to say no ghost bots? Uh, you certainly can dictate how your property can be used after your death. This is Joy Butler, an attorney based in Washington, D.C., and she says that in this future, our legal conundrums will involve something called the right to publicity. And when we speak of the right of publicity, we mean any sort of indicia of, about that person, whether it's the person's name, their image, their voice, their unique characteristics. And the right of publicity gives everyone the unique right to commercialize or profit from his persona. Everybody has this right, famous people and not famous people. It's why a company can't use a photo of you in an advertisement without paying you or asking you for permission. You have the legal right to control your persona, no matter who you are. Now, there are some exceptions to this rule. If it's an account of a person's life or commentary directly about that person, let's say maybe in a biopic, especially if the person's uh, life or events in which they've been involved are newsworthy, in most circumstances, um, that use is going to be okay. It's going to be protected by the First Amendment um, as free speech. Now, this can sometimes be kind of a murky line. In 2015, for example, the video game company Electronic Arts Inc. came out with a version of Madden that was all NCAA football players. A few of those players objected to their likenesses being used in the game without being compensated. And a judge in California sided with the players, ruling that Madden could not use their personas without permission. So in this future, where we have these avatars, there are two ways that this could go. One being that you, while you're still alive, sign yourself up for something like this. Which means that in the terms and conditions for the company that you're using, you're giving them express permission to use your likeness and persona. And you're probably also giving them a bunch of data. The other way this could happen is that someone signs you up for this after you die. 
And in that case, they are the ones who are exercising your right to publicity. Now, in some states, the right to publicity is still recognized after you die. But in other states, it's not. But let's say that we are in a state that does recognize the right to publicity post-mortem. Then it's basically like furniture in your will. Similar to uh, an argument among heirs about any type of property that's in the estate. Right of publicity rather than you know, land, rather than you know, stock, rather than a company. Joy says that this would probably be considered, by the courts, just like using a photograph at a funeral service. I would really analogize that to if your parent uh, dies and you you have a photo image of your parent engaging someone to create a portrait of your parent. But it can talk. Does that matter that it like it can it can like respond and learn and interact? Does it's the same sort of the same? I would say it depends what it's going to say. It seems just like wrong to me that a portrait, an oil painting, would be considered in the same way as this active thing that can talk and interact and change over time. But legally, it might not be any different. And here's another question. In this future, let's say that someone hasn't clearly bequeathed their property to a single descendant. Let's say there are multiple people in the family who have their own ideas about how things should be divided up. This happens all the time, right? Tons of people don't make wills or lay out their wishes. And I'm sure you've at least heard of, if not been part of, a family that just really gets into it over what to do with grandma's stuff. So what happens in this situation where half the descendants want to make a ghost bot and half of them do not? What happens if the half that do make one and the half that don't use it and claim that it's totally unrealistic? It's not like Aunt Mary at all. How do you prove that a bot is or isn't accurate when, like we talked about before, every person contains multitudes and acts differently around different people? I asked Joy about this, and she basically said that there's no real, like, legal case here. There's no complaint to make to a court. I see that ending more in kind of like family bickering and disagreement as opposed to a case. Uh, I think realistically, uh, there have to be something, you know, substantive behind that for it to end up in court. Uh, That's my general feeling, but, you know, odd lawsuits are filed every day. Maybe there would be a whole TV show just for these cases where it's like not real court, but it's like TV court. Mm-hmm. I would watch that TV show. I can totally picture it. Ghost court, where avatars of dead people are put to the ultimate test. You are not. <laughs> anyway, I'm curious what you folks think. Would you have an avatar made of you for people to interact with after you die? You know how I feel. No way, Jose. But obviously, some people are totally into this idea. James, Muhammad, even Joy said she'd consider it. That's an interesting question. Um, So I'd certainly want uh, things that reminded me of good times and um, positive memories of my loved ones after they passed. So uh, depending on the specific... um, scope and uh, characteristics of the avatar, I'm not ruling that out.
That's all for this future and for this whole mini season. I hope you enjoyed this little foray into the future of bodies. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth. The intro music is by Asura and the outro music is by Hasselonia. The episode art is by Matt Bubchansky. Huge thanks to all of the voice actors who brought the intro scenes to life this mini season. Maria is played by Kara Rose DeFabio. The first voice of Marquise was played by Rotimi Agbabiaka, who is debuting a new solo show called Manifesto on June 21st at the African American Arts and Culture Complex as part of the National Queer Arts Festival. I'll link to that in the show notes. The second voice of Marquise is played by Zandra Ibarra, who has a couple of upcoming shows in San Francisco, Mexico City, and Montpellier, France. You can check out her website for more about those. John is played by Keith Houston. You can find his voice acting work at Key Voice VO, or if you are in the Bay Area and you are looking for some karaoke, check out Roger Niner Karaoke at rogerniner.com. Gabby is played by Eller DeGray, whose work you can find at degray.studio. That's D-E-G-R-E-Y dot studio. Special thanks this whole mini season to Adria Adi and Molly Monahan at the Women's Audio Mission, where all of the intro scenes were recorded this season. You can check out their work and their mission at womensaudiomission.org. Flash Forward is mainly supported by patrons. If you like this show and you want it to continue, the very best way to make sure that that happens is by becoming a patron. Even a dollar an episode really, really helps. It's huge. So you can find out more about that at flashforwardpod.com support. If financial giving is not in the cards for you, another great way to support the show is by heading to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review or just telling your friends about the show. The more people who listen, the easier it will be for me to get sponsors and grants and keep the show going. If you want to suggest a future I should take on, send me a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. The next mini season, I'm still debating between two different themes, so I'm all ears on what you want. I'm trying to decide between crime and power. So crime, like what is the future of crime solving and crime doing? Do we need cops on Mars? Should we not have cops on Mars? What does that look like? And then for power, both literally like what if we had unlimited power, but also questions of like who is in power, who gets power, should animals have legal rights, all that stuff. Um, So if you have feelings about either of those two, let me know. And again, if you have thoughts about the way this little mini season structure is working for Flash Forward, send me a note, info at flashforwardpod.com. Unless you want to yell at me about the snow globe. I get it. You hated it. I get it. (laughs) Just be nice. If you want to discuss this episode or just the future in general with other listeners, you can join the Flash Forward Facebook group. Just search Facebook for Flash Forward Podcast and ask to join. And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, you can email me, info at flashforwardpod.com. If you are right, I will send you something cool. Okay, that is all for this future and for this mini season. I will be back in August with more futures for your ears. And I hope you have a great uh, life until then. I'll see you in the future. <laughs>